Well, thank you. This morning we are in a few places in Mark, getting close to the end of Jesus' life here on earth. And so we'll be looking at a few more scriptures. We'll be bouncing around a little more because I don't want to... The, the section this morning is Mark, the last uh, few verses of Mark 14. And so that's where we'll go. But first, where are we in the story of Jesus' life at Mark 14, the end of 14. What has happened before? They're celebrating the Passover. Okay. They have celebrated the Passover. And what do they do after the Passover? Okay, that's part of the Passover. That was that was. Um, we've we've entered into the trials. There's six trials. Okay. He's seen and yeah, the Sanhedrin. Okay. Yeah. So the Jewish religious ruling organizations and there are several components of that but uh, we'll probably well we've already gone through the uh, let's see I'm trying to get my head about last week and what I was studying this week so I'm getting confused so part of the one of the things that Jesus did during the during that Passover meal, supper time, um, was predicted his what? His crucifixion. Betrayal. Yeah. Yes, his betrayal, his death. So we, we really need to look at that because that sets the stage for what we're studying today at the end of 14. So let's, let's go back at the... I believe it's, yeah, let's go back. Do we all have Mark 14 open? We need to be there. We need to read into that. If somebody will read uh, 27 through 31. I got it. Okay. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. And just for effect, I'm going to read John, John's version of this in 13. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And you noticed in Mark, they were all saying the same thing. You know, he's saying he's going to die, and they were all very adamant. They are not going to. That's not going to phase them. They will. They will stand by him. So let's go to. Verse 66, Mark 14, and let's see how this actually happens. As P 
Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants' girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it. I neither know him nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out. So do you get the sense here? What has happened between the confident statements and this point? He was arrested. The the uh, religious group that was instigating this had also brought government soldiers with them. So this was a very secure uh, state that Jesus was in, and these disciples were not really capable of of resisting this too much. But let's go back to um, verse 47. And we saw this last week. Somebody want to read verse 47? Good. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Okay, so how do you swing your sword to cut off somebody's ear? In a downward motion. You're aiming for their neck. <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't, the guy didn't stand there and let him chop off his ear like he was chopping wood. <laughs> Peter was probably swinging sideways for his neck and the guy was just fast enough and all he got was his ear. Pretty amazing stuff. So this was Peter. So he was not denying Jesus here, was he? He was defending him. Of course, you will say, how do we know it was Peter? How do we know it's Peter? <laughs> yeah, John has a whole lot more detail than, than Mark does. Mark is giving a, a brief description here as you know, the last half of John, uh, 12 chapters are devoted to Jesus's last week. So if we go to, to John 18, we see this moment. John 18.10 Simon Peter then having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear and the ear even gives the slave's name Malchus so Jesus said to Peter put the sword into the sheath the cup which the father has given me shall I not drink it So how did Jesus respond to Peter's defense there? That it wasn't necessary. Yeah. It wasn't even wanted because Jesus had to go through this. So you're in front of hundreds of Roman soldiers and you take a swing at one of the group, how are you going to feel about that if, when you miss? <laughs> so we need to be a little gracious, more than a little gracious to Peter. He really did try. He tried wrongly, perhaps, but he really did try. And then being told to not do that, it would be really deflating to your reasoning, to your, certainly to your ego, and actually 
you know. If you're in front of all these soldiers that you're swinging in their direction, wouldn't you have a little fear for your own safety at that point? Hey, Jerry. Yes, sir. Yeah, last week we noted the mercy and compassion of Jesus and healing of Malchus's ear. Uh, he was also merciful to Peter in that too, because yeah, yeah. as we looked at last week, the, the crime for killing somebody was death, right? Capital punishment. Um, and so Jesus told him right after that, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Right. And so Jesus was not only looking out for Malchus, but he was looking out for Peter too and killing Malchus's ear there. Yes, in retrospect, we can see all of this was all compassion for everyone, all mankind, including us. So Mark 14.50 gives the punchline at this point. Somebody want to read that? Or we should all read it, but anyway. Anyway, at this point, they all left him and fled. So they didn't hang around. Peter was the only one that actually made an effort at defending him. And after that, they all left him. So at this point, we go after... Uh, during the trials, which we went through the first three last week, the religious system trials of the chief priests, the um, elders, and the council. This took place probably over a three or four, maybe more hour period of time where Jesus was in front of these people, um, but he's restrained by, he was captured, he was bound by the government troops, but they were party to the religious leaders. The religious leaders were driving the bus at this time, and they went through these three different trials. And, during, and that's what happens, is, is happening during this period of time here where we are in Mark. So when we look at the uh, description of her accusation here in verse um, 67, do you notice anything about, about the girl's description? Yes. Yep. She was so she was a an employee of the high priest, and the high priest was the one that's bringing these charges against and and doing the uh, running the the trial and and being the judge and partially the jury at the same time. So what does she? How does she describe Jesus here? As a Nazarene. And she looked at Peter and then realized that he was with Jesus, the Nazarene. So identifying where he came from. Yeah, so Mark again, most of Mark's up to this point occurs in Galilee. And so I don't know where this um, Nazarene label got affixed to him, but it certainly associated him with, with the North. But she recognized Peter as being with Jesus, so it's possible she saw him in some of the other um, disciples. disciples. Well, I, I was saying during when Jesus had other confrontations in the temple, because he'd been in the temple a lot, um, so yes, it would not be surprising that she would recognize the disciples, and certainly Peter. Any other thoughts at this point? 
he uses two negatives in, in denying it. He says, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. He's trying to distance himself really far and plus he leaves to distance himself. Yeah, it's interesting. He says, I don't understand what you're talking about, but I think clearly he doesn't know what she's talking about. He's just like, no, it's like what you said, he's trying to get far away as he can from the situation. Any other comments? We've all read this a thousand times in our lifetime, so. How do you think they knew that he was a Galilean? I'll let somebody smarter comment on that. You know, um, Jesus did, was raised in the north, so it's possible that he picked up a dialect from yeah, there, so possibly so. <laughs> Although he's perfect, so I would think he Jesus would have perfect. Perf <laughs> <laughs> he would have had perfect, perfect um, Aramaic. So I would, I, I would think he probably wouldn't have an accent, being perfect, because I think an accent is a. Typical of fallen language, where you learn talk a little different. So, <laughs> dress differences, maybe. In my New King James Version, in verse 70, when she asks, Surely you're a Galilean, it says with a comma, and your speech shows it. So, it was his speech that signaled to her where he came from. Well, that's, yeah, that's where Peter came from. And yes, we would certainly say all of that's true of Peter, but we were wondering why Jesus was labeled the Nazarene. But I think that just means that people know a lot more about, knew a lot more about people. There was a lot more human interaction and people depended on people to, to be truthful and honest because you were always around the same people and if you get a reputation of, of inaccurate speech or, or um, that's the best way I could put it, exaggerating, you know, we know people like that, they tend to overstate things or understate things. Um, but there, when you don't have near, much access to written documentations. Pretty much all you get is what you hear. And so people were much more disciplined in hearing and speaking than we will ever be. Because we depend on written things that we intake and we aren't careful to read to capture that accurately. So whenever we give a book report or a comment on, on something we witnessed, we are far less accurate than we should be. Um, we need to take more care with our speech. Memorization is, is becoming very rare in our culture. Uh, we just don't expect people to give totally accurate information when we speak anymore. Because if we don't spend that much time getting it and making sure that we have it right when we say it. Sir. As you alluded to, Jesus, he's been around by now, so everybody knows who he is. You know, this wasn't his first time in or around the temple. Uh, <coughs> even all the way back in the beginning of Mark, he had already acquired a great little thing. Um, in Matthew 2, it talks about how Jesus was from Egypt. He'd be called up out of Egypt and he'd be called a Nazarene. Uh, Matthew 2, 23 says, uh, and came, he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So the fact that he was called a Nazarene, this has 
of prophetic importance. And in Mark 1, the demon talking to Jesus says to him, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? So uh, it has prophetic importance and even the demons had this title that was associated with him as being um, the, the Holy One of God, he says in that same sentence, the demon does. And so it seems like even this um, unbelieving slave girl has some kind of understanding of who Jesus is and the fact that Peter was associated with him. Yeah, very good. That's exactly right. Yeah. It would, be, would have been common knowledge. And to see that she used that label is very significant, considering, yes, that that is prophetic label for him. So another evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, you know, just from this one of the lowest people in the culture, even she knew that. That's very impressive. Yeah, so there are, how many times did Peter deny Jesus in this sequence? Three. Three times. And why would we say that? Because that's what Jesus predicted. <laughs> Okay, so that was the first time. Let's go on. Would someone please read 69? The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. Go ahead and read 70. Again, he denied him. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them. For you are a Galilean too. Okay, so that's you know, definitely uh, clear that he was Galilean by you know just by the way he speaks, um, and you know we we generally can can tell when someone's from the South or when somebody's from New York or Boston and New England. But people who study this can really determine that there are you know, <clears throat> dialects, accents, you know, the way we speak can be determined with lots and lots and lots of places around our country. So our speech does give us away. I have not lived in the East since 1960, well, 70 was the last time I was there. And uh, occasionally people still say, you're not from here. <laughs> That's not all due to your speech, though. Pardon? That's not all due to your speech. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I'm sorry. Logan, I ignored you earlier. What were you going to say? Do you still remember? We don't know. But Peter was afraid of quite for his life, for sure. Well, and the soldiers and stuff that were there when they cut off his hair, you know, they're like, keep an eye on him. He's 
volatile one. <laughs> well, yes, after swinging that sword, it, you know, it, it would be reasonable, very reasonable, since Jesus didn't support that, you'd want to get distance between, between that particular crowd. That was the front of the group. Um, but yes, Jesus had already been, been grabbed when he did that. So, yeah, it's curious that they didn't pursue him, really. It really is. But, but when you're a soldier in full armor, you're probably not too concerned about some dude that didn't know how to use a sword. <laughs> Exactly. They probably weren't afraid of him, and they were, and they had already been intimidated by Jesus saying, "I am." So they were they were off off of their um, mindset too for a little bit there. They're trying to rush everything yes. off because they're worried about the crowds. When people show up in the temple in the morning, they're wanting to avoid the masses, not just Peter's. Yeah, so maybe it was even the high priest that just told him to, to ignore him and let's get this guy down to to trial. Well, then uh, I didn't have you read 71. Peter began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you are talking about. Those words probably rang in his ears for a while later. But, um, you know, I always thought this mean, meant he was uh, using profanity to show that he wasn't related to Jesus. But uh, my reading says that probably means he was, he was taking an oath. He was swearing right. on... Uh, But I wasn't there, and so I don't know. But that was the other option that he was, he was binding himself under a note that what he was saying was true, when in fact, of course, it wasn't. And then, immediately, they rose to crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. So we don't have each of the three denials in in this section, but uh, if we find that in in John, but he then had remorse. So it's interesting that the rooster crowing the first time didn't jog his memory, but then the second time it did, and in, in um, it's interesting that Luke uses the same words, he, he went out and wept bitterly. Another thing I did forget to mention is that uh, one of the other accusers who was a slave of the high priest, it says in John, was a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off. Didn't I see you in the garden with him? (laughs) I doubt that Peter would have known that at the time since John records that. Did you say that was Malchus that said that to Peter? No, that was a relative of Malchus. Oh, so I just thought that he thought it was Malchus. So. <laughs> I don't think he said Peter. <laughs> that, that would be funny. Okay, so what we got here, Peter went out and wept. He wept bitterly. So what do we see here? 
we see remorse. Who else had remorse about this whole situation? Jesus. Yes. Amen. And where do we see that? I had that all in my notes, but they didn't get with me now. Thinking it was Matthew's count. That's right, 27.3. When they saw, and when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. He went and returned. Pardon? 27.3. That's where he goes and throws the money back at the chief priests and elders. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So he... Up until this time, you know, Jesus had evaded all attempts to, to do him in. Uh, when he was in his hometown, they took him up on top of a hill to throw him down because they were mad at him for, for um, criticizing them for not accepting their Messiah. But he just walked away and went through and they lost lost him there and all these times that he was in the temple you know he turned over the money changers tables and chased out the animals that they had in there um, but no one touched him so Judas I am speculating then th thought you know he could have his cake and eat it too he could uh, to make some money on this deal and Jesus would just walk away again but again he isn't listening to what Jesus is saying that he is going to be crucified but it, when this happens he realizes that he's been mistaken but what's the difference between he and Peter Well, the difference is they both had remorse. One. Well, yes, exactly. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians seven, ten. There's two kinds of remorse. You know, like Jesus said, you know, the demons fear and they tremble. We need to fear God but we bow before him. We recognize our guilt and we hope and pray and trust that there is forgiveness for that. Mr. Judas did not look for any forgiveness. Someone have Second Corinthians? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Yeah, there's a, two ways you can go when you discover your guilt. When we discover our guilt, there's two things we can do. We can be hopeless, and we know there's an awful lot of that going on right now. People are not looking for, expecting, or maybe even believing that there can be forgiveness. And so that's 
what the whole meaning of the good news is. The good message is that there is forgiveness. And even, even to the point, you know, what, what greater sin is there in, than betraying the Son of God or betraying or denying Him? What, what possibly could be greater than that? Especially for someone who has been with Him for three years seeing all the miracles, even seeing people being brought back to life. It takes, it takes the Spirit of God to give us the possibility of hoping that there's forgiveness. Yes? Yeah, so I'm also wondering like um, what Judas was really wanting to get out of this. Like, do you think it's speculation that it was just money, or, I mean, because I think Judas, he also was kind of wanting Jesus to, you know, take over the Roman, like overthrow the Roman Empire and be king, but, um, I mean, clearly he, I don't think he was planning on Jesus to die with this, because, yeah, we see his remorse, so, like, I don't know, but do you have any insight on that too, Tyler? Or do you think it's all just... I've never, I've never understood that. Yeah, I think it's more than just money. I think money certainly plays a part into it, but remember that Satan entered into Judas, so there's a whole spiritual aspect too. And um, Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was never one of his. He was told in John that he would never lose any of those who were given to him, but Judas wasn't one of those who was given to him, so he was never truly a believer. Satan entered into him. All along, he was operating by his own selfish, sinful desires, stealing from him money back. So uh, you can't just isolate and say, well, it was only his sin, it was only his flesh, or the influence of the world, or it was only Satan. I think it's all three of those main influences working together, the sin, the world, uh, Satan, and but ultimately it's God in his providence who orchestrated even this terrible disaster, the, um, the crucifixion of the Holy One. Uh, that was all by God's predestinated plan. So that's the difference, and that's what we have to encourage ourselves when we act like Peter, excuse me, and also everybody else around us, there is forgiveness. Uh, the only thing that we can need to tell is that Jesus died for that, and so that sin is paid, paid in full, and it's for the sin of the whole world. So no one is, no one needs to claim they're excluded. So in your um, heading, you included the restoration of Peter. So I concluded that we were supposed to cover that at this point too? Yes, I think we did. Well, it would be John good. 21. Yes. So it's very interesting that, um, you know, how Jesus responds to Peter afterwards. We need to see that that is the most important thing for us, is to see how Jesus responded to Peter. And he responded to him at the cock crowing, first of all. And it just says that, um, if I could remember where that is, which I can't. I would have had that written down. But one of the Gospels says that when he said that the, the third time that Jesus looked at him and he looked at Jesus, he remembered, he looked at Jesus and Jesus was looking at him. <coughs> so that would, yeah, the moment of truth there. And so <laughs> Peter wept 
He was remorseful, but he didn't kill himself. He didn't run back home never to be seen again. So we need to look and see what happens after that. So let's go to Mark 16. We'll go ahead a little bit here just to tie that in. Mark 16. Uh, after the, the women went there and saw the angel, they, they went back. In fact, the angel told them to go back. Um, let's, I'll, I'll read verse 5 and 7. Entering the tomb, the women saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee, there you will see him, just like he told you. <laughs> so that's what the angel told. They, they told the women to go back and tell the disciples and Peter. So that was Jesus' instruction to the angel to, to you know, definitely tell Peter, make sure he knows and isn't that just really cool? And then in Matthew records in, oh no, I'm sorry, Matthew doesn't. Luke records that, um, that Jesus appeared to Simon. That was when the 11 were gathered in, a, in the upper room. But John tells us, of course, the most. So that's where we shall spend the rest of our time. So let's go to John 20. So again, John 20 starts with the, the women, Mary Magdalene, going to to the tomb early and saw the stone taken away. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them. So it's interesting, you know, right away, and another thing we didn't note before is that when Peter entered the court, one of the gospels says that John was there already because he had to come and vouch for Peter to bring him into the courtyard. So Peter and John were together in the courtyard for a bit. And so here we see them you know, on the resurrection morning that Peter and John were together again, or still. So you know, John was a witness to what happened with Peter's uh, denials. And so that's another cool thing. John didn't abandon Peter either. So Mary Magdalene came to them, and um, so that's when Peter and John went running to the tomb. And it's really cool to see Peter. He wasn't as fast as John, but he wasn't careful either. In, um, Verse. It made me think too. Was he a little hesitant? You know, like John. Writing. John was the first one there. Well, the two were running together. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so, verse six. Um, Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. So he just wasn't going to, yeah. 
They're a little bit more pudgy. pudgy. <laughs> So he still did not understand, it says, but in verse 8, the other disciple who had come first to the tomb, then also entered, he saw and believed. So John had his moment of belief when he saw the, the empty space there with the clothes. But Peter still may have a little bit of question because he did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So they went to their own homes. So moving on then to 21 verse 12. They are now in Galilee and Jesus shows up there. The disciples are fishing and uh, Jesus shows up on the shore. We all know that story, I suppose. And uh, John recognizes Jesus. Peter didn't. But as soon as he told Peter, what did Peter do? Jumped in the water. He jumped in the water and swam to Jesus. The only one that really had to see Jesus. Now, isn't this just amazing about Peter's character at this point? He, after what he had just done a couple of days before, and yet he still is committed to Jesus. In spite of himself, he's looking to Jesus. He sees in Jesus maybe more than what we see. A total, he's totally committed to Jesus, and certain we see that more now and yeah it's just very amazing you know to look at what happens in Acts after you know after the filling of the spirit you know Peter is the one that gets up and the amazing thing to me after you know seeing all of this seeing the fact that he used a sword the only one to defend Jesus and then was told to stop and subsequently denied him three times. He's the one that stood up after being filled with the Spirit and preached directly to the crowd, some of which were there that had yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And he, we have to read this. It's just the most coolest statement that he he made. Acts 2.22 Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So he's no longer afraid. He's willing to tell Jesus' murderers that you did it. He apparently is not afraid anymore. Isn't that great? So, somewhere in this line of serious denial and massive fearlessness, we all fall. Let's hope we get closer to that massive fearlessness. And we've certainly seen many, many people in history that have done that, and many today. Any other comments? Our time is up enough. I'm sure Tyler's got to say something. I, yeah, we've got to keep going in John 21 to 15 and following, right? When yep. Jesus confronts Peter again. So it says in 15, So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think um, he's pointing to his mom. 
the other disciples, because I don't think he's like trying to bring up a competition between Peter and the disciples, but his fishing stuff that he went back to. Uh, remember, uh, Jesus told them, you, you guys have a mission, right? But they went back to fishing. They just went back to what they were doing before. And so I think Jesus is saying, do you love me more than this other stuff than your fishing gear, than your career, than your money that you went back to? Uh, and he said, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, you love me. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And so this is, he had died three times before, I think, that Jesus is drawing him back and restoring him and giving him a, a commission to go out to tend his sheep, to shepherd his lambs, to uh, leave behind his life of fishing and to turn back to Jesus. Jesus is welcoming him back in, not only as a, a disciple, but as a future leader in the church so he can stand up and um, be part of that foundation of the prophets and apostles that the church is built upon. Any other comments? That is the point. And he asks us the same. Do we love him more than these things and this stuff? And even these people, Jesus has to be first for us. I just think it's interesting that elsewhere in scripture it says that blessed are you seen, and yet those who do not see are, are you more blessed. So God is thinking, Jesus is thinking about the future, about us. And again, it's a goes right back to the entirety of the gospel that we don't change men's hearts. Can't, can't convince by clever arguments or evidences. It has to be with the Holy Spirit. Okay, go and tell. <laughs> Thank you. <Right> now. <laughs>